Happy New Year's! Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Or for even more madness, you can join our Discord server linked in the podcast description. Okay, Kyle, Tess, we're back. Here we are. New year, same us. 2020, we are here to make a statement to decide what was the best Disney thing of the 2010s. Uh, Tess is back with us. What's up, Tess? How's it going? I'm excited. Yep, let's get this thing a going. But before we do, let's talk spoonful of sugars. Uh, I will start it off this time. I saved the. I wanted to get 2020 started just right, so I broke open the Trader uh, Vic Smuggler's Cove Tiki Drink book, and I made a hibiscus rum punch. Uh, it is hibiscus liqueur. It is rum, it is seltzer, uh, and it is lime juice, and boy is it delicious, and it's quite the way to start off the 2020 Mouse Madness season. Chris, what you got in 2020? Well, I went simple this time, did not do a fun creative cocktail. My non-Disney actual human New Year's resolution is to embrace being a New Yorker full-time. So I went with a New York beer, Blue Point Brewery, drinking the winter ale. Nice and tasty, nice and flavorful. If it were brewed in Arendelle, it would be called an Arendelle. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's keeping me nice and warm. You know, it's chilly out here in the city. All right. So Tess, what are you drinking over there in 2020? Um, one of my favorite drinks is called the Rum Fire, which is Captain Morgan, um, Malibu pineapple with a splash of cranberry. And today I'm going to call it the Infinity Rum because while I'm watching Disney Plus with a rum drink, it just goes on for infinity. The buzz goes on and on and on. So there (laughs) you have it. Amazing. I love it. I love it. I love it. Chris, we have quite the discussion on our hands. Why don't we hop right into it? Sure. So we are talking best Disney thing of the 2010s. We'll start with our first Elite Eight matchup. We've got the number one seed in this bracket, the Avengers, versus the number nine seed, Projection Mapping. Here we have an entire franchise up against a groundbreaking technology introduced nearly 60 years ago, but perfected in 2010. Well, the Avengers have been around for a long time, too. You know, Disney didn't invent the Avengers. They just perfected them, delivered them to a massive audience. Last episode, Disney talked about D23 kind of normalizing nerd culture, normalizing geek culture. And yes, today it is accepted to be all in on something like Marvel or Star Wars or just Disney in general. 
but it's been around forever, you know? And, I mean, the same can be said for projection mapping. It's been around a while. Disney's just at the top of its game in that department right now. If you want to see some super impressive projection mapping, go to YouTube, type in Happily Ever After Fireworks at Disney World. Oh my goodness. This nighttime spectacular opened in 2017 at the Magic Kingdom Park in Florida, and it is mind-blowing. I was someone who was like a fireworks purist before I saw this show. I am not a huge World of Color fan, truth be told. And I'm not like a screen guy on rides. I'm like, uh, give me the real thing, you know? So when it comes to nighttime shows, I'm like, give me the real fireworks. Give me the bang. Give me the boom. Give me the colors, right? And so when the show started, the first time I saw it, I see these projections happening all over the castle. I'm like, oh, no. Here we go again with these projections and these screens ruining my fireworks experience. (laughs) But that show is done so expertly and the effect is so perfect and believable and they use the castle as this screen and they change the colors of the castle and they can make it look like it's made out of different materials and, you know, one second it's like a candy castle with... uh, Ralph and Vanellope von Schweetz like jumping around it and then like snap your fingers and it's like Elsa's ice castle and she like pops open the doors and it's like like it is mind-blowing and meanwhile there's still fireworks going boom next to it it's so crazy and uh if you're a crier I'm not a crier but if you're a crier you will cry you will cry (laughs) tears um and little kids are like so inspired by it huge fan of happily ever after um I think it's a really good um example of what this projection mapping technology can do also being used in animatronics too the frozen ever after ride at epcot the animatronics have real bodies and their parts really move but they have projection faces to like make their um, facial expressions seem more real and natural and it definitely works for like when you're bringing an animated character to life like that i don't know if it would work if you were like you know, projection mapping Abraham Lincoln's face onto like an Abraham Lincoln animatronic, but it totally works and is really impressive. Um, you know, the way they're doing it with, with some rides. I did not advance the Avengers over Trader Sam's. I think it's great that Disney's exploring new types of stories and inspiring audiences in a new type of way. Um, but I don't associate the Avengers with Disney as I do um, some other things. And and one of those things is just innovations in technology. Projection mapping is a great example of that. Um, And it's been perfected by them and will continue to be perfected by them. So I am advancing projection mapping over the Avengers. Yeah, so I I agree with you. I moved Avengers on last time. I think their influence over the Disney company and, and what the Disney company was trying to accomplish was... A mutt had a bigger footprint than the addition of Trader Sam's, but I think that the perfection that happened in the 2010s of um, projection mapping just adhered to the the mission of them just improving the parks as a whole. Um, you get DCA 2.0, you get Shanghai in China, and you get the perfection of projection mapping, and it's part of the park-going experience, and it's part of 
uh, making sure that the Disney company is forever seen as a world-class, top-of-the-line entertainment company. You bring up Happily Ever After at Magic Kingdom. Anyone should go watch any of the uh, shows that are projected onto the Tower of Terror in Paris. Watch any of those. They're absolutely incredible. To the point where they had a rave hosted at uh, Walt Disney Studios in Paris, and the uh, laser effects were just projections onto the Tower of Terror. It's absolutely incredible. Um, so, so you can see how much I'm geeking over it. I'm in agreement with you. I am moving projection mapping perfection on past the Avengers. Tess, what do you think? I think there's definitely going to be some upset that Avengers <laughs> isn't moving on. Um, I, I can see how um, when some people think of Disney, they don't think of Avengers. I think we just have to keep in mind how much money Avengers has brought in. But um, as a park goer, when I think of the parks, I do think of the entertainment atmosphere. Um, so one of my new favorite parts about the projection mapping was this year at the Halloween party, which was Oogie Boogie's bash at DCA. Um, they didn't have any decorations on Carthay Circle because they want they um, had a bunch of projection mapping where Oogie Boogie's voice was in the background and they had this like snake animation and all this different stuff, um, which made it extra spooky and really cool. And, um, you know, I love all the new fireworks shows. So I agree that projection mapping really brings a whole new level to the parks. Right on. All right. So we are going to move on to our next Elite 8 matchup, which is DCA 2.0 versus Annual Passes and Pass Holders. Um, these, these both were can be contributed to the re-rise of the Disney Company in the 2010s. Annual Passes brought in fans to feel part of the magic, feel part of the company, feel special and feel treated special. And have these more magical experiences because they were annual pass holders. DCA 2.0 was Disney trying to correct what they did wrong in the late 90s and early 2000s um, by making things right and really turning California Adventure into a Disney theme park. And that's incredibly important, not only to the company, but to the brand as a whole. However, I think in this matchup, it's super interesting because I almost think that DCA 2.0 influences annual pass holders. I'd be in, like in an alternate universe. I'd love to see if we left DCA how it was, which was just awful. Would there still be this rise in APs or did people find the value again in APs once 2012 happened and DCA became a park that you would want to go to again? I th I I'd almost bet that many people opted into annual passes because DCA became a park that they actually wanted to visit and that things actually happened in. So, I mean, for that reason alone, for me, I'm moving DCA 2.0 on past APs. Yeah, I think that was a perfect analysis. I think DCA 2.0 took the park from just kind of something you stop by and just hit Soren and maybe 
California screaming and then get out of there to a place you can actually hang out. You know, it took it from, eh, like, let's just go for like a chill day at California Adventure, take our time and hang out to a place you want to do rope drop at, which is uh, absolutely wild. I didn't think that they'd ever get to that point. Um, and it's really impressive. And I do think that there would be no APs without DCA. T- there would be eight piece without DCA 2.0, but <laughs> it wouldn't be at the volume that it is now, especially in Southern California. So I do admire that they introduced the uh, monthly subscription uh, pricing plans for annual passes in this decade, but um, not enough for me to advance it over uh, California Adventure 2.0. Tess, thoughts on that? As an annual pass holder, are you offended? Uh, not at all. Um, I think uh, I really didn't visit the parks. In fact, I never visited um, DCA 1, 1.0 because I went when I was really little and didn't come back until after um, it was revamped. So I have no leg to stand on. I just know that I love Disney California Adventure as it is now um, with or without my annual pass holder. So as a vacationer and as an AP um, I love DCA 2.0, so I agree with you guys. The worst thing to come out of DCA 2.0, though, is the loss of Tower of Terror. Yes. RIP. Pour one out. Okay, we'll bounce across the bracket here to our other Elite 8 matchup. It's D23 versus Shanghai Disney. This one's tough for me because I am neither a D23 member, <laughs> nor have I been to Shanghai Disney. But uh, I will go ahead and probably just use the impactfulness argument for this particular matchup. Um, D23, something that anyone can access at any time. Uh, It has something for everyone. Not to say that Shanghai Disney doesn't have something for everyone. In fact, Shanghai Disney was the eighth most visited theme park in the world in 2018. So it's certainly very popular. Um, But as we said in the first part of this episode, D23 has created a very, very tight-knit fandom um, within the Disney community and a fandom that allows for this podcast to exist. So um, I think we can credit a lot of that to D23 and um, kind of the membership, the club, the fandom style that um, spawned from it. So going D23 to the final four. Yeah, I think I agree wholehearted with you. I D23 made, and I don't think that anyone has really dived in and, and talked about how much influence D23 has over being uh, influential in, in Disney fandom in the 2010s you see this rise in the 2010s of this kind of this disney fan who's from millennials to adults without children who go to the parks who consume disney media who are running podcasts like us where it may not have been seemed as cool because it might have been seemed as childish in the past but you have d23 which holds these massive conventions where you get to see these celebrities participate and make this kind of geekiness and nerdiness cool again and 
that really opened the door for people to go to the parks without a family and and have podcasts where we debate things about the company and and the I'm sure if we compared 2000 to 2009 and 2010 to uh, 2019 you probably see an upsell in adult merchandise sales compared to in the early 2000s it's but no one really relates it back to d23 but i'm convinced that d23 made it cool again because it hopped into the convention culture which is really its bread and butter it's its home and then extended it to not only fans but also auxiliary fans um by offering this membership that gets you access into the uh, studios into special screenings, and I think that's fantastic. Shanghai w- is a big flex by Disney. It's look at this big castle that we made. Look at this new technology that we ma- that we are introducing. But it's also a park that uses another source of income. It's not necessarily completely financed by the Disney company, and so they're able to do these things and these expensive technologies because it's not their money. They're being paid to do it while back home they don't budget that and so it's this interesting it's same within tokyo and that's the whole issue with how cool tokyo disney sea and tokyo disneyland is compared to the stateside parks is because it's they were given money by essentially tokyo and by japan and in the oriental uh land company and were able to create this incredible park and so i think that what's the best disney thing it's in my opinion i agree it's d23 tess i would have to agree with you um i'm surprised i haven't been to a d23 convention um myself because that's just that's where my people are for sure um d23 convention um couple years ago is where my best friend met dick van dyke and got something signed by him i mean that's just a that's just a dream come true right there. Um, they're making dreams come true. Um, so, yes, I agree with you guys. Yeah, I uh, also haven't been to the D23 convention. And I think that if my crowd anxiety was a little bit lower, I'd be down to do it. But it's a little bit intimidating of an undertaking to actually fight for a spot in line. <laughs> I would never do it. I did a couple of Comic-Cons a really long time ago. I've done an L.A. Fit Expo. Food and bathroom is like such an important thing that people overlook, <laughs> but it's so important. Yeah. Like what happens if I get hungry? What happens if I have to go to the bathroom? Like these are like crucial human functions yeah. that need to be accommodated. And like for some reason, I have not been to a convention that has properly been able to <laughs> handle this very basic necessity yep. for large amounts of human beings. Uh, you won't see me at a D23 Expo literally ever. <laughs> 1,000%. Okay, our final Elite ma- 8 matchup is Disney Plus versus Black Panther. Now, I absolutely love Black Panther. I think that its influence on superhero culture completely changed the game. I think that it brought in uh, hip-hop into a space where hip-hop wasn't ever really invited which I think is incredible. It the Kendrick Lamar produced album for this movie was up for album of the year the year this movie came out, which is 
absolutely insane. And the soundtrack itself and the score is fantastic and incorporates a lot of the themes from the album and then vice versa. It's very, it's the synergy there is awesome. Um, special place in my heart because it takes place primar- or partially in Oakland where I'm living and I think that's fantastic and it's awesome and it's the whole uh, birthplace of the Black Panthers and, and so there's that uh, side to it as well. Um, but like on this side of the bracket, how are you going to compete with Disney Plus and the model that they're employing there? I mean, like they they took the Netflix model, which is just streaming movies, and they gave us Disney nerds and fans basically everything we wanted. I mean, they weren't they weren't gonna roll out out of the vault. We're gonna release a movie every six months. It's like <laughs> no, here's pretty much everything that we've kept in the vault recently with the promises of stuff coming in the near future. So I think that's fantastic. It also gives them an alternate place to explore and test. I think that a big identifier of that is the Lady and the Tramp movie, the live action. They were able to really try and test that CGI dog technology and see if it's something that they wanted to go with and, and without the high stakes of releasing it to the box office and taking a brand hit by it flopping. And they're just using that technology, and I obviously don't have any insider knowledge on this, but they probably, side by side, were also making um, Call of the Wild, which is coming out, which also uses this kind of CGI dog technology that they probably had more faith in. So they're able to still release these kind of tests on Disney Plus and then whatever they're more confident in release theatrically. Um, also, the um, original content that's on there, I know that you brought up that you're not a big fan of The Mandalorian. I'm not a big fan of Star Wars in general, but I enjoy The Mandalorian. I enjoy the high school musical, the musical, the series. I watched Lady and the Tramp and it was fine, um, but it's I'm excited to see what they do with it because this was all just like day one content that they're just like, this is what we're putting out there. So how do they take kind of the feedback and the fan reaction and what do they do with original content moving forward i think it's a great ground for them to be in and being the kind of like entertainment leader of the world to then come close down the streaming game it's just such a power move and so black panther was a big step in a in an incredible cultural significant movie um i think i'm moving disney plus on in this one In the first round of this matchup, I mentioned how the live-action remakes were a major misstep for Disney. I think a lot of similar problems exist with Disney+. Not to say I think Disney Plus is a misstep for Disney. It is really not. It is a step in the right direction for Disney. But the way it exists right now, especially the way they're marketing it and the way people are receiving it and consuming it, It's Disney nostalgia based. And as of the recording of this podcast, there isn't enough groundbreaking, new, innovative content for me to say it's a huge success. Without that stuff, yeah, it's nice to be able to access any Disney thing you want ever on your phone. 
But if I was building a Disney collection, I would rather just do it myself and buy a bunch of Blu-rays with a bunch of special features on all of them and have a, a whole movie theater and watch all of them. Like that would be my ideal Disney movie collection, not not streaming uh, willy-nilly, you know. I hope that eventually we do get to the point where we see some really interesting new stuff on Disney+, Plus, but we are not there yet. This is a platform that is only a month old, one month. I cannot call it the best Disney thing of the decade when it only exists for a month or two months at this point, rather. Black Panther is Disney. It's innovation. It's reaching new audiences. It's inspiring new people, young people, old people. I live in New York City. I ride the train every single day. It is astounding how many kids of all colors have Black Panther backpacks on when I'm riding around school time. It's awesome. And I mean, eight-year-olds, 18-year-olds, people love Black Panther, right? I think it is, like you said in the first episode of this bracket, it's great to see Disney reaching out, trying to tap into a new audience. And the box office numbers do not lie for Black Panther. It is something everyone loved and everyone needed. So I'm going to advance Black Panther over Disney Plus with the caveat. I love Disney Plus. I think we'll get more of it in the 2020s. Maybe in our Mouse Madness best thing of the 2020s, Disney <laughs> Plus a win. But I can't give it to Disney Plus yet uh, in the 2010s. So I'm going Black Panther, which means Tess. You're going to have to tie break this one for us. And I know you love the Black Panther. <laughs> yeah. So from watching Black Panther for the first time a few days ago, um, I wish I'd been watching it for longer. There was so many great elements to the movie that Kyle um, talked about. One other big part of the movie was how, or two big things. Um, I like how there wasn't a whole lot of, um, movie jargon I could just watch it and just enjoy it and I understood it and but it was still intellectually um, pleasing and so it really that really hit home for me because sometimes with these franchises you really don't understand what's going on without having read the comic books and whatnot and this one they without having read the comic books um, it really gave us a great two-hour synopsis of the whole thing so that was awesome it also had a great villain. That's what got me in the door was Michael B. Jordan. I'm not going to lie. Um, it was a great villain because you sympathize with him. I, I can't even, besides Darth Vader and Star Wars, I can't think of another villain in a movie where I truly sympathized and understood their character intent and what they were doing. You know, not to get too much into it, but he put on his shoulders the entire pain of black people all over the world. And he was putting that on his shoulders. And that's why he was trying to take over Wakanda. And it's just, and you see that and you see that in modern times and it's just incredible. And so you understood his intent. So watching the movie, you're just in this turmoil. So, and that's just for me watching it one time and I got all that. So Black Panther was great. Disney plus. Um, I will have to disagree with you, Chris. I think that with all of the super old content, I mean, there's hundreds, thousands of movies and 
um, shows on Disney Plus that I I've never watched before, or I maybe watched it once and didn't get to um, and didn't remember a whole lot of it. So, although there's not a whole lot of brand new content, and it's not you know besides the Imagineering story, the new content isn't you know top notch. But just the ability to binge watch something you've never seen before um, is amazing to me. You know, things that haven't been available before that were stuck in the vault. So uh, it's hard because you're right. It's only been out for a month. Can it be the best of the decade? Um, I'm not really sure. When you put those side by side, I think Disney Plus is just in the beginning stages. So I'd have to agree with you, Chris, that I think Black Panther has to move forward just by the fact that Disney Plus is just the beginning. If we do this episode 10 years from now, Disney Plus would probably win. But for now, it needs a little bit more time to cook. Hey, I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad. I, you, bring, you do bring up good points about it just beginning, but I think that we're going to look back and be like, this is the best move that Disney made in the 2010s. I think that we're going to look back on that. That means... We are moving on to our final four. Usually we start an episode here. We're smack dab in the middle of it. We have number nine, projection mapping. First number four, DCA 2.0. Okay, so the mistake here, I think, is to use the same logic as our DCA versus APs, where there is no DCA 2.0 without projection mapping, because there is no DCA 2.0 without projection mapping. We mentioned that World of Color, such a huge part of DCA 2.0, it is a nighttime spectacular. It drives people into the park late at night. Basically, the way the crowd flow pattern worked pre-DCA 2.0 was people would start their day in Disneyland. They'd head over around 2 o'clock to go ride Soren and maybe a couple other things, and then head back into Disneyland for the fireworks and the parades. And it was extremely frustrating if you were someone who was trying to get to the parks just for the night, or if you were someone who left Disneyland and then couldn't get back in because the park was at capacity. Um, California Adventure 2.0 made this a park that you can spend the whole day in. I truly believe that it's a full day destination and it will be even more so when the Marvel campus opens um, in 2021. Projection mapping, yeah, it made a really important part of DCA 2.0 possible. Tess made a lot of good points about how it's used in um, seasonal after hours celebrations, but I think DCA 2.0 should advance here just because it is something that can be appreciated by anyone who walks into it. You know, um, it's not something that just Imagineering nerds will recognize. It's it's something that if you had never been to a Disney park before, you could walk down uh, Buena Vista Street and be like, wow, this is really cool. This is really immersive. This is a really great park. Um which is something you could not have said about California Adventure uh, <laughs> 10 years ago. So, um, yeah, I'm giving it to uh, DCA 2.0, advancing to the finals. Yeah, I uh, I don't know that I would employ the projection mapping. There is no DCA 2.0 without projection mapping because I think that 
as much of an influence as Word of Color has on DCA 2.0, I think it's even more important that DCA 2.0 become a daytime park because they tried to get people over for the nighttime stuff with the electrical light parade moving it to DCA in the early 2000s and it still wasn't working and so when they made that thing glow away yet again they needed something to change the nighttime atmosphere but they most importantly needed to be a day park and I think that Buena Vista Street and the addition of Bugs Land and the revamp of Pixar Pier to turning it into IP based and really just make this park feel like you're in a Disney amusement park was essential and they were able to do it all without projection mapping. Now projection mapping came in and enhanced that with World of Color with the Carthay Circle projections. Um, I guess maybe with some of the um, Halloween mission breakout projections maybe I don't know I haven't been there but maybe there's some sort of overlay there um, but needless to say I think DCA 2.0 is a much better Disney thing of the 2010s than the projection mapping perfection so I'm with you Chris number four DCA is moving on to the finals Tess we just moved on our first finalist what are your thoughts I agree. I think without um, revamping DCA, um, I think Disney would have been in a lot of trouble. I think without that, they the company really might have gone under um, because, or at least the park would have been bulldozed over. So I think it's, and it's such a staple um, to the to the parks being able to go to Disneyland and DCA. So I agree. D- DCA 2.0, I think that's a good a good final two right on then we're going to move on and figure out who else is going to our finals we have the number 15 d23 the official fan club of the disney company versus number six black panther now uh, we've stated over and over again the influence that black panther has over just the world really and we've gone over and over about d23 and how that opened up the door to Disney fandom and really define what Disney fandom is in the 2010s. I think that when you when you look at what is Disney and what's the best Disney thing, they want to bring you into the magic and they want you to experience the magic and what Disney means and they do that very well in Black Panther. They I mean the innovative technology that they used it in cgi alone was just so much better than anything that was out and the um even the storyline and just how you could see kind of the disney wheels turning in the technology that was implemented within the black panther movie just every all of the technology they had available to them in the movie you could almost see disney being like i wish we could do this so we're gonna make it happen in this movie but i think that like the most influential and the best Disney thing and best Disney move was D23. It had this impact that just rippled across the world and rippled across fanfare and so did Black Panther, but that's just such a small subset. Like if you're if you're not a superhero fan, so, so like take Tess for example, like if it weren't for this bracket, you may not have seen Black Panther. But 
D23 opened up this entire, they took their core fans and then said, it's okay to love this. In fact, we encourage you to share how much you love this. Become part of this fan group, come to this massive expo, and just make it okay to be this Disney geek. And while it, Black Panther definitely made it okay, and it's super influential, and and it, 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 to be a superhero fan, to be a Disney fan, I think the best Disney move was taking over their own fan club, establishing an expo, and creating a culture in which being a Disney fan is okay and even encouraged, I'm moving D23 on to the finals. I agree with all of that. D23 making Disney fandom a way of life. Black Panther could also be a way of life too, but uh, I think D23 definitely the better Disney thing of the decade. Tess, we have a number 15 versus a number 4 matchup in the finals. What is your thoughts about how this bracket has really broken down here? I am kind of surprised that D23 has moved so far. Um, only because, honestly, I didn't know what was going to make it just because everything is so diverse and so different. Um, I kind of thought Disney Plus would move along farther, although I didn't let it move along farther. <laughs> that is your fault. <laughs> um yeah, so I think this was full of surprises. I'm I'm super surprised that Avengers and Star Wars, being such franchises that they are, um, didn't move along that far. So um, this is definitely keeping the listeners on their toes, I'm sure. You're going to get a lot of emails about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm sure. All right, Chris, we have our final. I'm going to go ahead and let you lead this one off. Okay, we got DCA 2.0 versus D23. This is a great example of why I love this format. It's not about picking a winner 1 out of 16. It's about seeing these things go head-to-head all the way to the end, and you never know who's going to get there until you really talk it out, right? And when I saw all of these things up against each other, I was like, I don't know how we're going to pick a winner. Any one of these, you could make a really good argument for it to be the best Disney thing of the decade. If I know anything about the history of this podcast, I know we love picking things that are like very well balanced, right? Like Mulan incorporates a little bit of what we like about everything or, you know, Finding Nemo incorporates a little bit of what we like about everything. So I was like, what is that in this bracket? I cannot identify it. I don't know if there is one, but we're talking parks versus Disney lifestyle. I mean, which one of these is a better, well-rounded representation of Disney in the 2010s, right? On the one hand, you got DCA's redesign showing how much Disney is willing to allocate resources to show off the quality and its willingness to correct its wrongs in the past and then you got d23 which is kind of like the giant that this fandom and this culture stands on here's one thing that i keep realizing and this is something that has been kind of an epiphany to me like in the last seven months or so maybe since we started doing this podcast i mean i'm on twitter all day every day you are too It seems like every single day there's some Disney news story that's broken, 
some casting announcement yep. or there's there's a Disney thing to talk about yep. every single day without fail. I wake up in the morning, I'm like, what's the Disney thing going to be today? Right. Don't know what it is. Don't know what it is. And then sure enough, by like 5 o'clock, something's, something's on it, you know? I think that that culture and Disney being so socially relevant is what the 2010s is for Disney. And while D23 is kind of framed as this exclusive club that a lot of people aren't members of, it lays the foundation for Disney being a relevant company to the rest of the world outside of just the diehards just the geeks it's something that's relevant to everyone i think it may have accomplished that without d23 but it definitely kind of sets the floor for that attitude and so for that reason (laughs) i I'm surprised I'm saying this, but I think D23 is the winner of our best Disney thing of the 2010s bracket. I also didn't think that I'd be naming D23 as the best Disney thing of the 2010s, but here I am. I'm going to name it. I I honestly thought I was going to move projection mapping all the way through. I thought that their perfection of that really solidified them as an entertainment master. But if you think about it, I wouldn't really be that much of a projection mapping fan if it weren't for D23, as you said, planting the seeds and laying the foundation for what is Disney fandom. And they established themselves in 2009, but like they started naming expos beginning in like 2011. They began really... Uh, cultivating this following and making you anticipate every second year the expo is going to show up and now we're going to have a fan club and you're going to get magazines and you're going to get exclusive gifts and you're going to get exclusive opportunities to see things and like that's that's the new disney culture people want to be in the know and that's exactly what you just brought up is people are breaking stories daily about disney things and how culturally relevant it is people just want to be in the know about disney and so the best thing for Disney to do and the best Disney thing that they did was establish this, as you said, foundation for this all to foster and for them to always be in the forefront of pop culture. And so I agree with you, Sox. Here we are. We have crowned our best Disney thing of the 2010s. It is D23, the official Disney fan club, as we do always. Let's clap it out. We clap it out. It's amazing. Tess, we have finished the journey. Did you ever think in your right mind that D23 would be taking the best Disney thing of this most recent decade? Absolutely not. But (laughs) I do see the point that you bring forward. Um, All the things that come out of social media on D23, especially during the expo. I really appreciated that they've really um, had their stuff on um, Instagram a lot, too, because that's where I usually land. Um, I didn't miss anything from the expo because it was just constantly on Instagram. So um, I think it's a good all-encompassing Disney thing, even if you don't know exactly what it brings forward. Um, it still really is 
the message, the big old grand picture of what Disney is all about. Well, Chris, welcome to 2020. We've made a big decision. We've finished out the decade very strong. It's been a crazy Disney decade. It's been crazy. We've come a long way. We have come a long way. Long way. And this podcast has come a long way. And we would like sure to has. thank Tess for joining us for this journey of best Disney decadeness. We appreciate all of your emails, your tweets, your everything. So thank, thank you, you for, for joining, joining us, us on this, uh, this, this journey. journey. Hey, anytime. You can find us on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. You can email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. We have a Discord. You can join the conversation at the link in the description of this podcast. And until next time, join a fan club, will ya? I guess I have to.